Welcome to the Trap One Podcast, where this week we're reviewing Doctor Who Flux, War of the Santarans. Now, Mark can't be with us this week, uh, so he's allowed me, Pete, to sit in the driving chair. I think Mark exhausted himself with all of his dog-related puns last week and has gone for a lie down in front of a warm fire. He's collared me and asked me if I can lead the recording. That's just the situation that we're in. Sorry. And we're joined this week by the fantastic Andrew, Conrad and Sophie. Hi, I'm Andrew, a uh, fan audio maker. I um, make the fan audio series, the 12th Doctor Fan Audios. As I'm the lead writer and I'm the project lead. Um, I also write articles for vaguely Doctor Who and sci-fi in general, themed blog, um, Space Time Junction, run by my friend Lofas Laherty. And um, yeah, that's all you need to know about me to get started. Great. Oh, hi, I'm Conrad. I am. Um, how do I describe myself? Uh, I'm a Doctor Who fan. Um, I served time in the wilderness years doing various things for Big Finish and Doctor Who magazine. And now I'm just generally on Twitter enjoying Doctor Who and various podcasts like this. And hi, I'm Sophie. I'm a writer and artist. I've written for Big Finish and Doctor Who magazine and just a generic lover of Doctor Who in all its forms and eager to chat about the new episode the, the more doctor who the better i think we're all pretty much in that in that camp aren't we definitely so uh yeah we have all been in the unusual situation for like for the first time in decades doctor who fans have been able to sit and watch episode two of a six-part doctor who story for the first time and uh it was quite a lot to take in wasn't there what was everyone's first impressions um my first impression of just the first shot of the episode was that we'd um, walked into the poster from the cabin in the woods, and I know I'm not the only person who thought that because several people on my um, on a Discord server I'm in said exactly the same thing. Um, so keen to find out what's going on there, I guess. Um, but <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, I I, know, I enjoyed the jump to the um, yeah to the Crimea. And um, yeah, I think it's yeah. I, I like the um, slow build to the reveal that um, yeah, the, um, you know the um, British army aren't fighting um, Russians; they're fighting Santarans. I think, especially just for the detail that um, yeah, when um, Mary Seacole says it, she says it knowing who the Santarans are, and that's that in itself is just a nice wrinkle in them, a typical kind of like aliens invade the past beats that the humans there know more about the situation than the doctor does initially that's always just that in itself is a fun dynamic to go into like the Mm. uh, post episode um start of episode cliffhanger with basically um yeah i I was going to say i I was very excited about that house that i'm still excited by that house one of the most exciting things about it was that it's in black and white Mm. and i've been saying Mm. for years I would absolutely mm. love them to do a new episode in black and white and just how amazing it would look. So that, that made me very happy. And who knows what that thing is? Very excited by that. I mean, do we know when the last like black and white episode, what, like, I know this sounds really stupid, but in terms of, like, I know in New Who there has been, um, like, little elements of using black and white. Because I think there's mm. um, a moment where Missy is narrating something and it's, mm. Doctor yeah. Who in black and white, and I'm sure that Twice Upon a Time also does it briefly at the beginning. Mm. So, but that's obviously referencing yeah. First Doctor era. But I wonder if there's when was originally the first time. <laughs> I, I guess it would have been the Tenth Planet, would it? Would it not? 
no, no, yeah. not the Tenth Planet. The um, War sorry, games. the War Games, and then jumping straight into Pertwee. Yeah. But then everyone had different color television, so I guess that's an, yeah, because that's an amazing fact that most that you, I only realized that a little while ago that most people watched the Pertwee era in black and white because color TV sales took off quite slowly because they were so expensive, uh, and because color TV licenses cost so much. So most people back then, we, so we think of the Pertwee era as this super super bright, super multicolored. But for most people, that that wasn't how they originally experienced it, which is a weird thing to think about. Um, yeah. as, as as a Sontarans. Um, uh, what's the word? There's a bit of a bit of a, a synchronicity with the Sontarans coming back and, and a bit of black and white because um, the two doctors, <coughs> the two doctors started with that little bit of black and white, didn't it? Um, where we saw Troughton and Jamie at first uh, yeah. uh, in the TARDIS, mm. and then the colour fades. It was only for like the first thirty seconds, and then the colour fades in. But yeah, that's a um, yeah. There's a lovely ma- magic to that moment in the two doctors, though, just with like you know, there's a lovely warmth and nostalgia that comes back when you have Troughton and J- um, Troughton and um, Fraser Hines together in the black and white just for that moment before it fades into colour. It's um, very, yeah, um, there's something yeah, lovely about that, yeah, I think. Um, yeah. Are any of us... Sorry, Sophie. I was going to say, no, I am, I'm also very excited about that house, not just the black and white. I mean, I love mm. black and white, as you all know. I'm a massive First Doctor era fan, so black and white is my bread and butter. But yeah. um, no, the house was just a fantastic design absolutely gorgeous i don't know what's going on but i loved every second it was on screen (laughs) (laughs) have we got are any of us um book 90s book reader fans i I wasn't a proper book reader in the 90s but i know lots of people are um are excited about it maybe being long barrow from the uh (laughs) from the final seventh doctor new adventure oh gosh if it is um (laughs) um, yeah that would be a real yeah that'd be chibnall's biggest deep law move yeah wouldn't it i think um i think it would blow a few people's minds absolutely there'll be a a subsection of fandom somewhere that just explodes with well excitement and maybe not excitement i don't know depends on how people feel about (laughs) lungbarrow i know it's very divisive so it's quite interesting to see if that was a reference how that goes down uh for that for the people who read um, the novels because it's I, as far as I'm aware it's quite divisive because of it, it the looms thing is quite divisive isn't it yeah and answering the question of where the doctor came from we'll we'll never do that <laughs> Whoops. <be> <laughs> but but you just don't know do you with this the, the, the way the storytelling cracks around and, 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 and whiplashes about uh anyone could turn out to be anyone uh and uh yeah it uh, it always you don't know what's a red herring um, or what's actually going to turn out to be really significant later on, which is one of the things I'm enjoying. I think. I think um, just in terms of, of starting, what, how I felt when I started watching this episode, I kind of went in with kind of low expectations because because um, last week I think I was one of the few people who it just did just didn't do it for me, um, and that's fine. Um, but it, I think it's just because um, it's not my favourite thing having like lots of different. Uh, setups to sort of follow is it that's not my sort of generally my favorite sort of game through through things especially doctor who i don't particularly i'm not that bothered about the arcs and stuff so so when half an hour into last week when they're still setting up you know in the arctic in the future and all these new store new as each sort of new element sort of arrived I, I got kind of got less and less into it but that's fine and i did what you know anyone went any self-respecting person who did who doesn't like doctor who i went onto twitter and just said nothing at all and watched everybody enjoy it because that was lovely um, and, uh, <laughs> where was your, they're doing doctor who wrong 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's just really nice to be enjoying it. And it's just like, well, you know, exactly. Galaxy, yeah. Galaxy 4's coming out in a couple of weeks. You know, I'm, I'm all happy. It's all good. Um, so I went into this with fairly low expectations, but I have to say I was very pleasantly surprised by this week, which I enjoyed it a lot more. Interesting. It's reeled yeah. you in a bit more. Definitely. Yeah, this this episode was a complete turnaround for me, yeah. Which is the I beauty like of the second yeah. yeah. I'm in the I same like- boat. Yeah, same. It's I, I liked that it had a bit more the store the, you know, individual upload story kind of had a bit more room to breathe. Um and we got to, you know, spend some time enjoying the um Centauran action. Um, you know, it's yeah. I yeah, similar I don't know, it's yeah, interesting. Like I yeah, I'm still not sure how I feel on the arc plot stuff at the moment. That felt a bit too kind of removed from everything else for me to get attached, but I, I liked the, you know, plot with the Centaurans. It felt kind of pleasingly um yeah, it's like just the Centaurans invading uh throughout history at multiple points in history. That's a nice um angle on it, I think. Um like so, and it's a nice way to integrate I find it's a nice way to integrate the story into the like series the Flux arc as well. Mm. I think as well. Yeah, because we weren't sure, were we, whether or or are we? Have I not got it right? You tell me. But about at first, I thought the Sontarans must have been fluxed to Crimea, but then it turns out that they they actually just chose to go there because they they just can. Is is we got that right? Yeah, they used the flux as kind of a diversion, basically, Mm. and snapped through the um, Lupari shields before just before it shut. And um, yeah, I was going to say the um, and so that I think that's how they explained it. Um, You know. yeah, that's what it said on rewatch anyway. Um, it really does bear rewatching, doesn't it? As much, I mean, people have been, we always say that about modern Doctor Who, I think, but um, especially when when you've got so many things firing off or in, in, and so many little little clues dropped in between things that might or might not be uh, turn out to be really important. Yeah, I think it was nice because I definitely got a lot more from it the second time in terms of able to pick up specific bits like that. But actually, I also felt it, it also just worked as a whole, you know, good thing to watch on a Sunday night in one big go. And I think even casual viewers could really enjoy that in one big go and feel mm-hmm. it very satisfying, you know. So it was, I think, it yeah. did, I think it did, it's doing quite a lot. I don't know. I think it just sort of keeps a lot of people happy at once, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's um, it's it's just good action adventure fun as well. It has good jokes, and I'm always a sucker for good jokes. I mean, the um, the Centauran invaded the Crimea because he wanted to ride a horse, and that joke will sustain me for the next week. <laughs> um, say that enough. It's um, you know, it's, um, yeah. just yeah. And Dan's um, puns, yeah. Dan's puns were fun. just genious. Yeah. Yes. Fried, pan fried Centauran. <laughs> yeah, you're staying. Yeah. You can I'm just going to walk out of here. <laughs> and then, of course, the perfect reveal that there's a load more Sontarans right there. <laughs> how, how do you guys all feel about the Sontarans in their, in their sort of place in the Doctor Who pantheon? And, and uh, uh, I don't, I, did any of you encounter them for the first time as, as new in, in the modern era and then go back and, and see the older ones? Or um, Yes, in my case. Yeah. I, my first story was the Sontaran stratagem. Oh, um, right. I think, yeah, I did Excellent. later go back to watch The Time Warrior. That was, you know, my first um, go with them in Classic Who. Um, yeah, I think this was probably, I'd, I'd say, having now finally recently caught up with all of Classic Who, um, I, I think this is probably their best outing other than The Time Warrior. Um, for my, for me personally, I think it gets, you know, like, yeah, I don't think the Centaurans should be too serious. I think, you know, like, and I think the new series is generally 
gotten that, but um, you know, it has, you know, it finds a good way to um make them a credible threat while um still while still, you know, aside from the bit where they can't shoot straight at Dan when they having fun with an alligator. He's about ten feet away from them, isn't he? Yeah, literally. Um, you know, which it's fine. They're Doctor Who villains. I don't need them to be <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're meant to embody sort of militaristic narrow mindedness, yeah. aren't they? So yeah, we can we can take that, can't we? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like, and it gets to the point that, you know, that's a thing to poke fun at with the Centaurans. You know, it's, um, they can still be kind of scary and gruesome and horrible, but also they, they're very much something to make fun of. You know, Dan can literally tell on, oh, look, your leader's over there and it'll work. You know, it's, um, <laughs> oh, look over there and it'll actually work. It's, um, so, you know, yeah, it gets some good laughs out of them, but it also gets some good kind of, um, sense of just what makes militarism kind of horrifying as well. And hmm. it's the kind of, Ridic- you know, and the ridiculous machismo that they embody. So awful. And that's good. Right. Sorry, I've talked a lot there. Someone else go. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, <clears throat> I'm with Andrew on this one. I, I, my first uh, Sontaran, I believe, was the same one, which is the Sontaran stratagem with Tenant, I believe. And then um, I went back and watched The Time Warrior, which I love. But then I, I just love Sarah Jane with Pertwee. He's it's such a. I love Baker and um, Sarah Jane, but I have a. I've I've got a little bit of a soft spot with Sarah Jane and Pertwee as well. It's quite nice to see. So I quite like the episode, um, and I, it was pretty cool that that was actually referenced in the episode as well with yeah. um, Commander Lynx. Um, which I thought was really nice. I wonder how. I don't. I don't. I don't think it would have alienated. Um, new viewers that much because it was such a throwaway kind of ever since you know we first started coming here so oh you've been here before that's it so yeah do you you, yeah do all Doctor Who fans do that sit like because I do sit there every every continuity reference they go I like it oh but are other people not going to like it oh (laughs) oh, she said Nitro 9 but oh is everybody all casual viewers going to be upset about it being Nitro 9 it's like like, it was interesting because like um you guys were saying about the first episode being a bit hit and miss I think like there were some really fun references in there, but because there was there wasn't a lot of time to really like absorb any of it. You had like A to H of different plots that you were trying to get through to an audience. And I was just sat there like, wait, there was a Nitro Nine reference. Was did I did I hear that? Like I didn't really have time to even focus on something I know I would have definitely picked up if there'd been time. So I had to go and watch that bit again and go, yes, you did say Nitro Nine. <laughs> Oh well, I was jumping for joy because I I am there. There's always one, and I am the I am the one one of the minority of people who absolutely adored Orphan Fifty Five in all of its mad uh, franticness. Uh, and so when she mentioned the Hopper virus and Orphan Fifty Five, I, I was just reeling. I was like, wow. I was like, it's canon. It really does exist because most people hate it so much. But um, uh, and uh, yeah, that, that like. I spoke to my someone talking to my sister who's just like a casual she watches Doctor Who occasionally and so I'm, I don't know what she's going to make of, of, of this if she only catches the occasional episode but she found the first episode quite hard to get into I don't know if, the, if we're a bit unrepresented here because on Twitter there was obviously overwhelming positivity and I mean we all really we really liked it we're not saying anything other than that but it, it yeah 
talking to someone like my sister who doesn't know any of that. So she didn't know whether Nitro 9 was an important thing that she's got to try and remember. Is, is that a, a thing about this story now? Or when the cloister bell starts ringing, is that a new thing? Is that a flux thing? Or is that... So yeah, it is, it is harder for people. But um, you've got, they've just got to strike a balance, haven't they, when writing it between giving us our little treats uh, and, uh, and setting up all the, all the newer, clearer stuff. And, and so, what about you, Pete? What's your, what was your first Sontaran moment? You're a bit younger than me. A little. Yeah, my, so mine, yeah, it was two doctors actually. Yeah, so I, I would have, I've been a fan for a couple of years by then. Uh, but um, see, so seeing them in that and having people and, and having people immediately saying, "Oh, they're not as good as they used to be," and um, <laughs> and me thinking, "Yeah, oh, bloody fans! Why, why, why would why would a fandom ever do complain about Doctor Who?" Uh, little did I know the, the way that it uh, works and probably always will work. Uh, that that's all just part of the big uh, the big cycle. Of, of opinions coming and going but yeah so so in that they are although they um I th- I th- actually i think that the way that the uh, the new uh, commander skark is it um is his voice patterns although he's got a slight a lovely slightly scottish accent added into the mix uh he, he reminds me of the the main sontaran is it, it's not major val is it it's oh i'm a bad fan Stipe. i can't remember his name Stipe, Stipe. thank you the tall sontaran yeah it's like the very tall sontaran uh but he's got that militaristic speech pattern and the sort of growl at the end of his sentences mm. um and so that was me yeah what about you conrad then well, I'm incredibly old, impossibly old, and so I can I can safely remember a Sontaran experiment, uh, and I probably would have just about been watching Doctor Who, so I may have even seen Time Warrior, but I don't remember it. Um, but I do remember seeing Links and Sontarans on sort of uh, Weetabix cards and stuff. God, I sound so old. You're a timeless child, Conrad. We're all stuff. timeless children, really. Right, I'll take that. Um, but yeah, I felt like, and I, I sort of felt like Sontarans, like I felt like a lot about Doctor Who monsters, that oftentimes it's been a case of diminishing returns. And I was just like, with the Sontarans, especially design-wise, from Links, in each one, they just seem to get like, less convincing to me but um i think what they did here was really good because i think they just drew on there was elements from every sontaran story i'm um, seeing so, you know, like you said sophie there's the links reference um there was the uh the reference here to it this uh the crimean war being a sort of a pilot scheme which is sort of what the uh sontaran experiment was about you know the idea of scouts going ahead just to sort of suss out whether this is a good strategic yeah. thing um there, there's obviously all the time stuff from the invasion of time um, and like you said, there's some two doctors things. There were moments where I was worried whether their heads were going to pop out of their collars. So I was like, that's very two doctors. Um, and, you know, there's obviously stuff from the, you know, Sontaran stratagem and stuff all in there, sort of creeping around behind me. I think you think of Donna with a mallet and all of that stuff. So there was plenty, but but it didn't just feel like a greatest hit. I really felt like they got, like you said, Andrew, all, all those elements that make those characters, make them such a, I mean, Robert Holmes, what a brilliant, brilliant invention they were. They're in, they're inherently comical. They look sensational. Um, and I'm really glad they did stuff like taking the helmet off. And you know, the original joke is that their head is the same, same shape as the helmet and, uh, and the tongue and all the kind of, you know, and they, 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 all, you know, all the probic vent, all that kind of thing. They gave us everything you wanted, but they, it wasn't just a greatest hits. They really got to the essence of it. And I think, yeah, I agree. I think the best Sontaran story since Time Warrior. And if you wanted to show somebody like what the Sontarans were, this is probably, you know, this is what you'd show them. It's fantastic. Yeah, and it, and it almost you you could see it being having the germ of it being just a self-contained story about the Sontarans having travelled back to Crimea. That could have just been a, a forty-five minute episode. Um, potentially, I could imagine it was being. Uh, 
but but they it weaved into the flux thing it it, it, it goes really well doesn't it yeah 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 so should we start looking i we we meet we'll, maybe if we'll come back to the the central cast on our, uh, later but we can have a look at some of our um our guest cast because someone who immediately makes a fantastic impression i think is is uh, sarah powell as mary seacole mm-hmm. um what, what an incredible thing for for an actor to just be oh yeah so here you are you're playing a character from 200 years ago and she's explaining to doctor who what the monsters are like you're saying earlier Angela, that's just a really mm-hmm. unusual turn i really like that and and she's quite a familiar face isn't she uh, I, I i'm looking at her imdb and she's doing holby and doctors and casualty and the bill um she's she's a real um uh regular feature on on, on our telly so it's great to have had her in, a, in such a good role in doctor who and i, I think Welcome to British television. We have six actors, as always. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, that's it. And you've now officially made, completed the circle. And uh, yeah. And I, th- yeah, I thought that... My partner's from the States, and I'm always like, oh, that wasn't Persons and Doctor Who. Oh, that's him from somebody. And he's like, God, are there only 12 people on this island? <laughs> <laughs> it's equity rules. It's equity rules. <laughs> but she... Um, I, I, it struck me that she was given, being given a role. This is this isn't like um, uh, some of the what we what we call the celebrity historicals, where it's all about we go to this one person and meet them and just learn all about them, which you know which can be quite intense. And I mean, especially if you look at things like Rosa, uh, but um, at, at the most um, intense and sophisticated end of the spectrum. But then Doctor Who can also do this, like having George Stevenson in Mark of the Rani, is what this reminded me of. And I know Chris Chibnall's got history not being particularly kind to Pip and Jane. Baker's script writing, but he has said that he's definitely seen the error of his ways, and he now understands exactly where they were coming from. I think, uh, and and I think that that was this kind of celebrity um, teams up with the Doctor and helps out in the adventures. Um, I'm not sure did it actually all get undone at the end because of yeah. Well, should we come to the end in a bit? I don't know. But um, yeah, what did everyone else think of the of the guest cast, her and the and General General Logan? Hmm. I thought they were great. I thought it was. I I, I particularly like Mary Seacole a hell of a lot. I think she just took everything under her, her in her stride so well, mm. considering like like Andrew was saying because she's the first port of call when we arrive. She knows who the Santarans are already. We are kind of jumping in with the Doctor, like what's going on, and she's just like, "Yeah, I'm here. I'm doing this." Um, and I kind of <laughs> yeah. loved that about her. Yeah. Um, and and that clearly tallies in with what her personality actually was like. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, has anyone here actually listened to the um, the Charge of the Night Brigade, which was the big finish they did with Mary Seacole? I was curious now because yeah, no, I had yeah because oh, it, it's right. really good. <laughs> it's yeah. really good, and it only was released like a year ago. So it's really interesting that. Mary Seacole was with a 12th Doctor and a 12th Doctor Chronicle, and now we've got the 13th Doctor. But I think it, it you can get away with it because Flux is fine. <laughs> it's no problem. <laughs> but it, do, it is interesting that um, I it's very unlikely, I think, to have um, two stories, um, I guess, both BBC approved to be mm. released similarly, mm. I guess, because it was mm. February 2020 when... Uh, charge on night brigade come out i do recommend it david llewellyn wrote it it's really good um uh 12th doctor looking at uh weird alien diseases in the british hotel which is affecting both the russians and the british so it's really really cool but um yeah it's just really interesting that 
this was released and I just wonder how that worked in terms of um, like how that works with the BBC like do they look at what's released when they're coming up with stories or do they just go no the TV is more important than that's canon like we don't care if Big Finish have done something recently like I just what I'm curious more than anything as a fan how that works is there a kind of like no, you can't do that because we're doing it <laughs> kind of rule. I, um, yeah. I, think, I think from what I've gathered, I think that's how it works. They generally, uh, the, mm-hmm. as a licensee, Big Finish have to submit, like, here are the stories we're going to do and the BBC have to look at it and obviously compare it to the production office. And I think it's exactly that. They, they I think the production, the, the TV people say, like, no, we're doing that. Can you not? You know, I think that is exactly yeah. how it works. But because but this one was released much earlier, mm-hmm. uh, I, I wonder how that was kind of missed i suppose yeah. I, I think so. the other way i think the other way around it's okay i think it's mm. like if, if mm. big finished it at first you know it's a tv chef can do it do what it likes yeah 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 and, exactly oh, but no it's a cool yeah great and i suppose there's a confounding factor as well that i noticed when the credits were going up at the end there was sort of you know it's gonna be amazing to look back on these things because in the credits there are uh, uh credited covid coordinators and covid assistants and like mm. I just completely yeah. forgot this whole thing is made. So I think writing wise, it's probably all up in the air, and you know this mm. may well have come, you know, after that. But um, it's just amazing to think that this whole thing is made under these sort of incredibly yeah. strange conditions. You couldn't so, tell. Um, I'm yeah astonished we got Doc Two at all this year, and it's um yeah, yeah. that it's done pretty well so far. Um, with yeah, with regards to Mary Seacole, some thoughts I had on her in the episode. So, yeah, I really liked the way she was used. Um, I thought there was, um, yeah, so one thing that I felt was that it was very similar to the way that, say, Norcan and um, Ada Lovelace were used in Spyfall 2, but I think it works better here. I feel like Mary Seacole gets more chance, more of a chance to be, you know, in the, well, sorry, it's similar in the, um, you know, again, the Doctor kind of is separated from her companions. Mm. And um, so kind of Mary Seacole as the Norcan and Ada Lovelace kind of becomes her companion figure for the episode. Um, and she, um, yeah, and so and I think this this one kind of affords Mary Seacole a bit more space and a bit more of a chance to become more of a rounded character. And it's, um, yeah, we do get a chance to see as we did in Spyfall 2, um, a chance to see, you know, learn about, you know, a woman who was perhaps under-discussed in history. And that's always something, that's an element, you know, of this era in general that, you know, is um, always very, very welcome. Um, Yeah, I think it worked particularly well here. Um, I think there are a couple of just, you know, I like the way Seacole's characterised. There's um, some lovely moments in there. Um, yeah. Um, perhaps if I was just to pick out two or three just character beats that I really liked for Mary Seacole. Um, the first is um, when the doctor, um, you know, when um, the doctor's talking to the general and um, he refuses to um, listen to her advice, even though she knows about the Centaurans. And um, Mary Seacole um, kind of pushes, you know, kind of pulls the doctor away, says, You want to help out? Come. Um, nursing rounds and then you know she takes the doctor um to i can't remember his name but dan starkey's sontar and you know and you know so she's you know she's you know to the general's face you know pretending that she's just taking the doctor on nursing duties but i think there's the implication there that she knows the doctor might know something about yeah. the Sontarans, or what well, the doctor said but you know she knows that this might be useful to the doctor and this might be a chance for the doctor to do the kind of thing that she wants to be doing, which is not nursing rounds, it's solving the alien invasion. Um, 
you know, and that's a nice little character beat for Seacole there. Um, there's another beat, you know, a few seconds later, they um, release Starkey's um, Centauran, um, you know, on the doctor, you know, to go with the doctor's plan to try and arrange a parlay. And um, yeah, the general um, then gives um, Seacole an earful for um, letting out, um, yeah, letting out someone he calls an enemy. Um, letting what he calls an enemy combatant escape, and she says, "I discharged my, um, I discharged my patient." Um, and she says that, um, you know, you're a guest here. Remember, you're a guest. Yeah, you know, sorry, the British Hotel is my establishment, and you're my guest. Remember that, or something. And that's just a wonderful moment of quiet authority for her, um, where she puts the general in his place in a very satisfying way. I think. I think the final beat that I liked was just the fact that her observation about um, the fact that her observation as a nurse, that the Centaurans, um, you know, spend seven and a half minutes healing every 27 hours is kind of key to the resolution, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice as a, as a sort of refutation of kind of the um, militarism that's kind of embodied by the Centaurans and the general and, you know, the British army, basically, um, is that, you know, it's, um, you know, her, you know, the things that Seacole values as a nurse and as a doctor and taking care of people is what's kind of key to the resolution and saving the day here, not the general's misguided attempt to fight the Centaurans in the battlefield, basically. And that's, so that's all really nice. Those are really nice elements mm. of the way that the episode used her, I thought. Yeah. And, and, and her accent, her, her pronunciation of the word Centaurans is now the official one, I think, because it's, it's varied a lot over the years. Because uh, yeah. we started with Kevin Lindsay doing it in Australian, I think, which is why it became Sontaran, because that was, and, and then adapted back into the English accents of, of the people he was acting with. And her Jamaican accent was beautiful. And, uh, and it, it was just great hearing her uh, saying that, uh, saying that word. So, uh, I don't know, just, just so, so, uh, so well-defined as a word done really confidently. Cause, cause I think sometimes actors can get a little bit flustered when they get this dialogue thrown at them, but they'd clearly, mm. they'd clearly, uh, clearly got that all sorted and she was completely taking it in her stride in, in, in character. Now also she makes me really want to have rice pudding and liquor. And see how better or really bad days. <laughs> why do Definitely. we not hear more? Yeah, why do, we, why, why do we not hear more about this as a as a tried and tested? It sounds good to me. <laughs> and also, just show my general ignorance. Like I think I knew the name Mary Seacole, but I had no idea who she was. So again, I just just going going back to the very roots of Doctor Who, the origins of it. Um, it did the job of actually just. I was just like, okay, now I know something about Mary Seacole that I didn't before. And also, there was a moment where, and I'm terribly ignorant about history so i know nothing about the crimean war but when the doctor said uh she i think that when her and mary were going to go and have a look inside the spaceships she's like half a league onwards and it just sounded like an odd thing to say so i just googled it and saw that it was a line from tennyson's charge of the light brigade yeah. which i had no idea but i could i could just tell the way she said it that it was like that sounds odd and it's like i love i just appreciate that kind of stuff that that you know that's what doctor was always supposed to be you know Again, I liked that because, again, like, um, yeah, admittedly, it's been a while since I've studied this. I'm going to put my literature degree to shame here if I've gotten this wrong. As um, I understand it, like, The Charge of the Light Brigade is, you know, um, was written by Tennyson to kind of glorify Hmm. um, that particular conflict, basically, and the actions of the British soldiers in that conflict, even though 
you know, the reality of it was that, you know, basically it was this disastrous attack ordered by, you know, foolish military generals as um, basically happens in this episode itself. And, yeah. you know, in this case, it doesn't, you know, the doctor using that line, she's not glorifying um, yeah. that conflict at all. She's, you know, reflecting on the actual reality of, um, yeah, um, yeah, basically the generals, um, yeah, bad idea to um, try and take the Sintarans on in battle and the fact that that's doomed a lot of British soldiers, basically. Yeah, it was really fitting because because um, it's a, and the, and the poem particularly addresses the way that, that they um, they obeyed the order to charge up a valley even though they knew that the order had been given in error and they were all going to get killed because it was the wrong valley to be charging up. But they mm-hmm. did it anyway, aren't they? Wonderful. That's exactly what you should do, and you're ordered to. And so to deploy mm-hmm. that poem against the Santarans is uh, is just so fitting. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and then just a nice little little touch of twinning between the uh, when the. Um, uh, sorry, I can't remember the guy's name. The British commander guy, Logan, Sc- General Logan. 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 The general I don't think he's real. <laughs> when he squares off against the Sontaran, there's just that moment where they're just sort of like looking at each other, and there's just a, that classic kind of conflict shot where you just see one's eyes close up, then you see the other's eyes close up. So you you mm. do get that kind of idea of these these two slightly similar, you know, opposing forces. It's, it's great. Mm. What was the line that they used? Um... When when the doctor was sent away and the um, commanding Sontaran was like, uh, "Thank you for your uh, massacre." Like it was just like such a horrible line where the general thinks like, "No, this is my time. I have this under control." And Sontaran's like, "Yeah, okay, she does what? Yeah. <laughs> okay." That's I think I think that was it. yeah that's it yeah I, w- I was slightly I think we have to suspend a bit of disbelief like around for example how, how did the battle seemed to go on all day and all night I was like I don't really understand how it took more than 15 minutes for the Sontarans to kill everyone because they had lasers and, and the other people didn't but we, well, we know they're a bad shot so true. Yeah. we have watched them yeah. be a bad shot now. That's true. yeah that, that's in universe <laughs> canon isn't it Sontarans <laughs> <laughs> are probably shooting each other <laughs> the British just, if only the British had just kept running around a bit more they would have been all <laughs> and I guess that takes us to another plot thread, uh, which is Dan being be, uh, fluxed mm. back to Liverpool. Actually, I love Dan. That... <laughs> I just love I... him. He has to stay. Mm. He's not allowed to leave. He has to stay. <laughs> That's my <laughs> ruling John... now. Are you a John Bishop fan in, in advance, or is that something that is going to I am, actually. I think um, my husband and I have watched some of his interviews he's done with mm. comedians. I don't yeah. know if you've seen, I can't remember what, I think it's like, like in conversation with John Bishop or something like that. I think it was on, I want to say Dave, probably not Dave, but it was some channel on satellite. I'll see if I can find it for you guys. But um, oh, he interviews lots of different comedians and obviously it's like a very kind of, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Inside the Actor's Studio, which is quite an old fashioned uh, Q&A with very famous actors. It's kind of a bit like that, where they're just very pure and open um, and like, I wish I could tell you off the top of my head who he interviews, but they're very, very like brutal and honest. Mm. And I loved John Bishop for that anyway. And I, I think he's a he's a funny guy. Um, but I it's so nice to see him in a in a role like this, where you can just see he's just having so much fun <laughs> with the puns and just being there. And I, I really appreciate like very much like Bradley Walsh, you can kind of just see like they're just having the time of their life, having fun running around shooting at aliens or running from aliens and mm. uh being part of it i think uh because i think he's I, I don't know if i've 
I know this or not, but um, was he a, is he a fan of the show outside of it, or was he did he know any of it at all? I'm, I'm afraid I'm not sure on that score. Does anyone know? Mm, I'm not sure. I think yeah, I think he has sort of tweeted it. It's the dream. You know, obviously everyone lending a part like that would say it's a dream come true, but I think he has said it in a way that and there are people have found tweets from him from back 10 years ago or whatever where he was tweeting along and stuff like that to, so he's definitely someone who's at least uh, enjoyed watching doctor who i don't know whether he's mm. a magazine subscriber but he's um <laughs> he's, but these things go in tears and they kept going uh, uh yeah, doctor who in waves that's a better way of putting it doctor the, the, the love for doctor who spreads out in waves uh, not yes. everyone's as mad about it as we are but they can still really uh, be, be really on board with it yeah Jacob is, is Jacob Anderson playing Binder, right? He's I know that he's yeah. the one that um made a big deal out of the fact that he's um a fan to some degree and that he um the most this season that he um apparently was um a fan of the McCoy era, which is, you know, I approve he has excellent taste. <laughs> um yeah, but um yeah, no, I um yeah, I've I'm I've been really liking John Bishop as Dan too. He's he's got a natural easy charm to him, I think, in the part. Um I think just stuff like um Chibnall writing his interaction Dan's interactions with his parents, that really plays to Chibnall's strengths as a writer. I think just um, you know, bits where um, you know, Dan's um mum gets annoyed at his um dad's denying he said something he definitely said about um something yeah about this entire <laughs> you know, uh, you know yeah. says, so he does this to wind me up or um they they um mentioned that a guy from birkenhead i think it was um knocked us entire out with a mallet and then um dan and his dad just go and sink birkenhead um you know those little jokes or um yeah and you don't have to be in on it you don't have to know the ins and outs of of, uh, of places in that area of the world <laughs> to get yeah. that that's the neighbouring place that they're going to make jokes about and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's a nice little character touch. Yeah, it's, um, that's the, I think that really plays to his strengths. I think, you know, so it's, it's nice to see down in that sort of um, setting, in his home setting, um, you know, and so, yeah, I think that stuff's written really well. I think this episode's trying to thread a slightly awkward kind of needle of, um, yeah, just the fact that, um, we're a third of the way through the series because it's a six-episode series, mm. but and um, but Dan's really still in the middle of what's his first adventure. Essentially, um, may kind of be his only adventure given the way Flux is, you know, playing out. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of like they play him sort of as an experienced companion. Um, you know, he um, tells his mum and dad to let him, you know, to stay behind so that they're safe and he can go in and like do um, a. Um, a sneak mission on the Centauran camp. Yeah. Um, so like he knows that's his job. He knows he's yeah. the new. That's what the new companion has to do. Yeah, yeah, and it feels, and it's like you're, you're only in your second episode, Dan. Um, <laughs> is what I'm thinking as he says that, and he says, "Oh, I've I've gotten used to dealing with the aliens, these aliens, the last few days." And it's I'm just like thinking, it sounds like your mum and dad have had just about as much experience dealing with the aliens <laughs> at this point. Um, you know, this isn't like when Rose comes back in Aliens of London, basically. Um, yeah. But, no. And, and we do, and we've got to wonder now what is going on with with the, the, the people on Earth. Remember, they don't remember the Dalek invasions, do they? That went into Amy's crack. I get confused. I've got the Doctor Who is a constant process of rediscovery for me because I've got such a terrible memory. I don't remember things anyway. So uh, I think that's what they do with yeah. the show, though. They say, "Well, humans have terrible memories. I don't remember being invaded all every time." They just like 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 pregnancy. They're like, "Oh, like it's uh, we don't remember the pain." 
of pregnancy will have another one. It's, I feel like that's what like, the invasions are, which is like, oh, we've had an invasion, but we defeated the invasion. It's fine. Everything's fine. So, we'll okay, we'll forget about it. We'll have another one. Oh, oh no. Uh, <laughs> there's just the, one I'm... very stressed historian out there somewhere. Yeah. It's like, what's happening? Well, m- maybe the past two years have taught us that that is a pretty accurate depiction of how humans <laughs> behave in some that's ways. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't completely stretch credibility, to be fair. Like, it remembers that Dan might actually need rescuing like he can't actually take out a Centauran ship on his own he might need rescuing from Carbonista to help him out so you know it does it is at least somewhat aware in that regard but and they, yeah. yeah and they did a nice they did held back Carbonista to that point didn't they to make to try and make us sort of forget that he was on the scene so that it wasn't too mm-hmm. obvious that because I wasn't thinking oh well, Carbonista's going to come and rescue him any minute even though if I'd really been thinking about it, I should have, because it distracted you. And, and I thought that the scene where um, you saw where Dan saw the people being executed, and you just got to see his face—that was well, seeing it. That was a tough one, for, you know, because what in his previous career has prepared him for? Okay, and now we're giving you a close-up, and you're watching three people being murdered. Do a face. <laughs> How, what, at what point has John Bishop? practice that it's amazing that he's um to go in on that and 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 that and the interactions with his parents is when yeah this is the episode where i've started to to think of dan as a person rather than in the first episode it was it was i felt like it was john bishop it was just how i was seeing mm. it it's it's the celebrity john bishop doing an appearance in doctor who uh and that's definitely flipped now it's in my brain the existence of this character called dan has sort of overwritten that if you see what i mean so yeah i'm, I'm getting on getting on board the dan train Curiously think, then, Pete, how does that correlate with Bradley Walsh and Graham? Did you, like, out of curiosity, did, did you have that as well, or did you always see Bradley Walsh? No, yeah, I, I think, I, that's a good, really good question, and I don't, I think because I didn't know Bradley Walsh as well, I hadn't seen him do much, I knew he was, just, I, don't, I hadn't watched his shows, although I knew he was a famous person, uh, and with, um, and because there was so much focus on Graham and, and his intense relationship with, with with grace and his bereavement that that really front loaded it and created this really vivid person called graham and i think they aged him up a bit didn't they because he's actually graham's mm. 10 years older graham's in his 60s whereas bradley Walsh is in his 50s so mm. yeah for, for, and maybe that took me straight into the deep end with knowing graham whereas with dan it's been a little bit more of a okay yeah he's not just john bishop i, I now know him as a person after a couple of episodes slightly changing actors ages i think they've aged dan down a bit or they've aged his mum up a bit from the actors relative <laughs> ages because i saw on twitter i think that yeah um yeah um that john bishop is only seven years younger than the actor play, actress playing his mum so that's um <laughs> you go with it it's tv yeah and apparently i've been reliably informed that these um that his mum and dad are are, are resident brooksiders so apparently they're good good liverpool stock apparently (laughs) that's right they are liverpool royalty yes if you're an actor who was in brookside uh uh, sue jenkins was jackie corker for 10 years yeah so but any chance to get her into doctor who is going to be uh, leapt upon i'm sure But I think I think like um, you know I think you know Doctor Who has had you know, obviously previous with like incredibly well known comedians coming in and being part of Doctor Who, and I think the audi- like general audiences are kind of getting used to seeing um, you know Catherine Tate, Matt Lucas, Bradley Walsh, and I think it, they they obviously sort of open a door to a, a bigger audience in some way, or, or make it sort of accessible or familiar, or give you an, an anchor point. But I think how much you sort of refer to them as they or think of them as a character and how much you think of them as a celebrity kind of can toggle back and forth a bit like I you know to, to varying degrees you know I think Catherine Tate 
is, you know, I can see her as Donna. For me, Matt Lucas, 50-50. You know, so mm. Brad, Bradley Walsh, I didn't know as quite as well. So I think I was able to tip him into Graham. At the moment, John Bishop, I think I'd probably call him John Bishop before I called him Dan, but like that can change. So I think, I think there's always a bit of a door open with these people. You know, they're, they're not trying to completely completely close them off i think i think you are always keeping that door slightly open i think it just depends on your relationship with with them and i don't know mm. I do, and i do wonder looking to the future of whether how the story's going to pan out whether there is something about dan that's and we always say this when i think we always say this when a new companion comes along but the fact that he's the only human who's lupari turned up and and that the Santarans did all turn their backs coincidentally when he was running into the thing he, he seems he's so touched by luck and the first button he presses inside the spaceship take puts him in touch with the doctor um that could all just be very it could just be very lucky but i do i wonder if we're going to find out that someone or something has been guiding him a bit uh, later on he couldn't be hypnotized in the first episode as well which i thought was oh, odd because yeah. yeah. his own his own lupari couldn't hypnotize him which seemed to be a sticking point for the lupari so i wonder if that's a thing that's something that interests me anyway, but I don't know. I don't know what that's going yeah. to be, but it, yeah. I find it odd that they try to show that Carbonista does hypnotize people and yet that never comes back. So whether that's a plot point that comes up later, <laughs> who knows? Yes. It's it's the curious thing, isn't it? When you when they've got so many plots going on, like you, and there's so many little moments that you just don't know. Like, is this even a moment? Is this a thing? Mm. You know, is this going to be important? You don't even know which bits to look for. Sometimes it's it's fascinating. It's going to be really interesting to look back on this series and see which bits. You know, like the, the, we obviously know something's going on with the TARDIS. And one of my favourite bits of this, this story was uh, when the Doctor runs up to the TARDIS and it's got no doors, which is just such a simple but such mm. a incredible image because we all know how that's supposed to work and I don't know whether it was deliberate or not but when she finally kind of goes right round the box and she's up against it and she's like I've got to get in here it's exactly the same shot exactly the same shot as in Ghost Monument when she first goes up to it and puts her hand on it and I was just like I've just got that little moment of it was really beautiful um I, I love it you know, it's yeah. the same thing happening. I remember in Father's Day when that happened, you know, when he goes, opens mm. the door, it's just empty inside. It's always freaky when they do things with the TARDIS. It's great. Speaking yeah. of which, in, um, a bit close to the end, when you actually see inside the TARDIS, oh, my yeah. heart was like, what are you doing to the girl, man? Like, <laughs> don't do this to her. She, what, what's going on? I, 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 I'm a massive TARDIS fan, so I'm like, please don't yeah, hurt TARDIS. her. What's happening? <laughs> Yeah, TARDIS in peril is, is 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 almost too far. It's like you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah kill everyone else. Leave the TARDIS alone. <laughs> <laughs> and so while um while Daz well Daz oh I'm I'm merging everyone while while Dan got uh taken home to Liverpool. Interesting, I thought the, the the flux or whatever it was, the blue flux energy took Yaz off to this mysterious planet called Time, uh, in, instead of taking her home. Um, and yeah, how how are we feeling about Yaz's uh, development this series? Temple, uh, the Temple Atropos. That's is that cool. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, creepy, creepy. I loved it all. Um, I I like Yaz so far for me has been a massive highlight. I feel like she's had so much more to do because she's now the main companion. And I don't mean that nastily on anyone else or Dan, but it feels like because now mm. she's the regular companion, mm. she has more to do and like I loved the, the thing I loved most about the first episode actually was her kind of uh 
challenging the Doctor a bit more than she used to. Like series 11 and 12, very much she felt like a yes man the whole time. Like, yes, Doctor. Okay, Doctor, whatever you say, Doctor. Now it feels like, what are we doing, Doctor? Why are we doing this, Doctor? What? What? Why? Please explain. <laughs> Please explain. Um, and that's kind of, well, at least that's what I've noticed anyway. I feel like there's so much more to do. Um, and yeah. I, I loved the, her kind of, you know, her resilience to figure out what was going on, not being scared about being on her own, on what she assumes is an alien planet in a different time, all on her own. No, no Ryan, no Graham, no Doctor, just her. And she handles it pretty well. Um and I, I kind of love that about her. I love seeing that strength in her that I feel like it's a shame I haven't seen earlier. Like for me, I didn't notice it as much until these last two episodes. So I found it really rewarding, really, for Yaz. Yeah, I, um, I'm a big fan of writing companions who question the Doctor and call them on their bullshit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I like it when Yaz gets to do that. Um, and I like that um you know i like it when a companion you know over the course of their time traveling with the doctor gets more competent at doing the doctory things um you know which um yeah i um yeah i i'd like it to feel a little more natural than it's felt as i guess like i, I wish he had built up over series 11 and 12 basically like i think they've always sort of you know played yaz as the one who um you know of the original family is the one who really was most on board of adventures with the doctor and mm. to most wanted to do the doctory things but um yeah i yeah. Still feel like you know we could have built to this point a bit more naturally but i like that we're there now um yeah. you know i um you know i like that um yeah i think i liked how it was handled last episode more just because she got more stuff to do i felt like this one she was wandering around in the b plot for most of the episode um the b plot that to be fair is you know clearly the main art stuff um yeah, but um, how was I going with that? Yeah, the people was clearly the arc stuff, but yeah, I don't think she, you know, she, and yeah, I like we get her little um, what would the doctor do um, beat as well, the fact that she's actually thinking about that type yeah. of thing. Does, does she have that written on her hand at all times? Or do mm. we think that she just wrote that on in that moment? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> it was a lovely uh, moment. But... There are all times, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I... Um, you know, that's a nice beat. I, I like her easy rapport with Vinder, too. I think that's quite, you know, they establish quite a nice dynamic straight away. Um, yeah, I think... Yeah, and when she told him, what did you think when she... I'm sure it's deliberate that she specifically says to him, "I'm I'm a police I'm an active police officer," whereas mm. the uh, the pre just last week she described herself as an ex police officer. That's a good point. Yeah, I haven't. I forgot. I'm sure that. that yeah, yeah. I, and whether that was just because she wanted to make a good impression to him, and she wanted to prove that—I guess that—that may be how we're meant to take it. She she wanted yeah. to uh, prove that she wasn't out of her depth in in this strange situation, but without being, you know, without faking it, she was just stepping up to to knowing what she does know how to do. Yeah, I've got I've got a, I've got an extremely insightful and sophisticated observation in my notes here that I feel I must share with you. Um, I've written Vinda Yaz, and then I drew a heart. <laughs> did they have a, did they have a moment i can't tell anymore because it looked to me like they had a moment when they met like oh nice to meet you and they had a moment imagining it i don't know did anyone else get that or just me just me okay thanks very no, much no no i i think vinda liked her 
Yeah. Like, that's what I noticed was Vinda. Like, <laughs> uh. I think Yaz is like, I've got stuff to do. <laughs> I'm going to be confident. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I'm all for... Um, yeah, I'm all for it. <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, obviously, the thing, you know, the sort of the thing that everyone's been talking about, even since before they appeared on screen, was what great chemistry uh, the, Yaz and the Thirteenth Doctor has, and the whole Thasmin thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was, if the Doctor had a same-sex romance uh, after having had other ones, and like they've got that spark between them? Um, they almost to me, I almost when when there was that, I think there was a visible little something between him at least definitely as you say definitely from uh, vinda's direction to yaz uh there was a little bit of oh, don't you dare don't you go there she's not yours uh, on my part <laughs> even though and i'm a hypocrite because at the same time i i i, I do love the doctor being in a, being sort of effectively in our terms asexual i i think didn't realize it when i was younger but that was one of the things that makes the doctor unique among heroes you know this goes out there and isn't doing it out of romantic passionate love but then it became then it was exciting to do to go against that and have david tennant's doctor 10th doctor particularly mm-hmm. as a very heterosexual very romantically driven person turned it all around and, and, and was different but having the doctor going back to, to being someone who just isn't motivated by romance and romantic love was something that i was like yeah we're getting back to basics but then mm-hmm. at the same time there is this wonderful chemistry between them uh, so Oh, hey, that's some drama, isn't it? You don't know how it's going to play out. I think when it comes to the Doctor with romance, it's I think you can always still read the Doctor as asexual, even when they have romantic relationships with other characters, especially because of the way it's often played. Um, you know, like the Tenth Doctor and Rose's romance is still frequent most for the most of the most of the time very chaste, really. Um, that's true. Yeah, they're have, not actually. Yeah, you know, they're actually even kiss or you know technically are officially together um you know it's um even though they do clearly love each other um you know and like yeah you know even like i don't know 11 and river you know there's i don't know that elements of 11 where like you know it's kind of like distant from romance and of course you know there's the basic fact that people who are asexual do have um romantic relationships as well you know i'm suggesting anyone denied that there it's um so, you know, I think, yeah, it can, you know, you can still um, treat the Doctor as an asexual character or a character who isn't normally um, motivated by romance. And that's and that's kind of what makes it an interesting tension when they do form that type of connection with someone as well, I think. Mm. Uh, if you can, yeah, if you play it right. You know. yeah. Well, it's hard to deliver a happy ending, though. That's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> the, the Doctor in a relationship with a, hum- in, with a human is going to end with, with one of them dying or the other one regenerating or both, basically. <laughs> but, um, but you can put in a, and then they live very happily for a hundred years. Caption at some mm-hmm. point, couldn't you? Yeah. Well, what do we think of what do we think of Vinda then? Uh, C- Captain Jake is, is he is he a, jump, a, a Captain Jack replacement? I think he's fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I really like his performance in the role um, so far. Like, I mean, last episode he was literally just monologuing—well, not monologuing to himself. But he was just talking to himself on a standing set, and he did, you know, an excellent job there. I thought of, um, you know, bringing Vinda some humanity and some sense of, you know, wonder. At, you know, as he like looked out at the emptiness of space and just stuff like that. Details like that made him feel very, you know, human, yeah, very human and real or, or, you know, very rounded character. We don't know if he's human, Um, you know, 
in spite of everything. Mm, good point, yeah, that's a good point. Instead of that he's just on his own. And like, again, here, there's a lot of um, mostly technobabble and exposition. There's there's hints of a bit more of like what's going on when um, Swarm kind of teases him at the end and how he wants redemption. So, you know, I'm sure for like being disgraced for something. And so that's, you know, there's definitely interesting stuff to dig into later. And I hope he, and I hope we do. But yeah, I think there's probably, I feel like there's definitely more to come with him right now. And I don't feel like we've seen everything yet, basically, as, you know, on a character level. But I, I like Jacob Anderson. Mm. I'm glad he's part of the ensemble. He's a very welcome part of it. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and on Planet Time, we have now got them. Re- we've got them united with Swarm Azure, and I've forgotten the other one's name. Passenger. Passenger. Thank you. <laughs> yes, and it's such a good. So, how does that word sound so ominous? When just when they say it, when they look at it, it just looks ominous. What do we think of them? I love them. Yeah, they are just very. I kind of like over top villains. There's something very, particularly of Doctor Who, I I love it personally. I mean, obviously, uh, there's I love like three dimensional villains as well, but with these guys, it just feels like no, we have we have one thing we want to do, and that's mostly to tease the Doctor and destroy them, whilst doing some crazy stuff. Yeah, it's, we, it's so <laughs> we, don't, we don't. We still don't. We're, we're two hours in, and I don't. I don't really know what they're trying to do. We're not. It's not because I'm. We're not supposed to really. I mean, we know the, the chaos and destroy time, or are they? Are they? Are they murderers who are actually trying to save the universe despite the fact that they're evil? Because they haven't started, mm. or have they started the flux? I don't know. I have no idea. All I know mm. is that I enjoy them being on screen every time they're mm. on screen. They look fantastic. They creep me out. I want I want more. Can yeah. we have more? This, <laughs> which I'm, I'm hoping we get lots more as the um, main villains of the, the story. I know obviously we're due to get the angels and stuff like that, but in mm. terms of how this story has progressed so far, I'm hoping they're going to be like the final mm. confrontation and mm. it's just going to be so much yeah. fun to see how that goes because they're yeah. just they're just so appealing to watch watching mm. that scene again today was like i could just watch a scene again can i can, i'll watch a scene again because it was just so cool especially like the way they were dealing with vinda and uh yaz how they were just teasing them like they they've won already they're there they, we've won that's how they're treating it and it was yeah. just so fun to watch because you just don't know what they want and that kind of unpredict- unpredictability and chaos is really interesting as an audience member because you just don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, I um, yeah, I, I really like, yeah, I liked them. I like the um way when um Swarm gives his and Azure's names, he just says the way he, um the actor playing him just throws away the line um yeah translations, but they'll do. That was that was a nice little bit of dialogue mm. moments. I thought. Um, just to hint at their alien nature, um, and yeah, I think there's there's elements I find interesting to them. Um, you know, I mean, I, I like that. You know, they seem to be the main arc villains. Don't know for sure yet, but like they seem to be the main arc villains, which would you know um, be the first time you know we get a proper arc villain. You know, yeah, I'm I'm not completely ignoring Tim Shaw here, but you know, he didn't really have much of an arc. He was just in the opener and the finale, but a proper yeah. arc. With some um, like original villains, you know, that aren't one of like the big three of the Daleks, the Master, whatever. Since um, since the um, silence, basically, you know, I, you know, I, I'm all for new who trying that a bit more. 
Um, it seems to be kind of going back to the sort of evil since the dawn of time thing that the Doctor's been battling since the dawn of time thing with uh, mm. that they had with um, Fenric and the gods of Ragnarok and stuff like that in the McCoy era. I like that this time, you know, apparently because of her um, division memory wipes, maybe because of something else, the Doctor doesn't seem to remember them. And that, you know, that's some kind of interesting wrinkle in a, you know, in a type of Doctor Who villain we've seen before that does something new for them. Um, you know, mostly they feel, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, they kind of, yeah, feel like standard campy villains otherwise in the way that they're kind of campy arch villains in the way that they're played. <laughs> That's that's a lot of fun in its own right. Um, like it's, I had a lot of fun in this episode just watching Swarm lounge, Swarm and Azure just <laughs> lounge about the um, set like a pair of cats. That's a lot of fun. Um, I, I was genuinely sad too when Azure killed the Triangle Priest, who I found who I found very cute for a, just a triangle, um, you know, voiced by a guy doing a silly voice. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I liked the Triangle. <laughs> I was sad. Yeah. It. Yeah, maybe maybe they can be reconstituted because yeah, they, that that was a uh, yeah. Norm- normally things like that, like the ones in Stones of Blood, are played to be really annoying little robot mm. things. But that one came across as reminded me of yeah, yeah, but 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 a, but a much more likable version that you sort of felt sorry yeah. for. Yeah, they reminded me a little bit of um, is it the bit from Tron? Oh yeah, they, yeah. I, a little mm. bit of like the reference to the the strange bit that talks in Tron. Obviously, the the triangle. Um, chaps whose name I, I want to say they were priests. That's right. Priests? That's what they build. Yeah, yeah. yeah or, so they're or, like the priests, yeah. the priests of the temple. They um, mm. I was like, can you repair? <laughs> it's so simple. I was like, uh, yes, no, <laughs> maybe. What? What repair? What? <laughs> <laughs> and the thing I love that Swarm and Azure have got these. Um, they've got these completely over the top, really vibrant costumes and, and and makeup on but they they aren't rising to that in their performance they're they're doing it like a, a nonchalant evil underplayed like I said you're lounging about uh, like like a couple of evil cats but not going over the top with it and that yeah there's a disconnect between those two that's, that's that makes it even more uncanny it's very tough. definitely I, th- I think they're i think they're pitch perfect i think they've absolutely got that doctor who villain thing where as you said andrew there's there's just enough arch in there um but i think they're sort of, if you're looking at but you can tell it they're not just wearing their performance like that is a if i think the acid test is if they were just wearing totally they were humans and they were just wearing total black would they still be sinister absolutely they would because those performances mm. particularly sam sprawl and the way he talks is just so cruel and so calculating and cold and just that teasing it's they're really really nasty you know at one point when he uh thanoses as the marvel kids say uh turns someone <laughs> to dust um and then he then you know yaz says oh we can't do that and he's like don't worry i mean you know, i'll get to you he said, i'll get to you next mm-hmm. i'm getting to you next it's like it's incredibly callous and cool but they just do it like you said so they're so loose and so just it's just a really gorgeous performance but and that's the there in itself but on top of that it has to be said the prosthetic and costumes and makeup are off the scale i mean they're beautiful and then they don't just look stylish for the sake of it i think they've got that kind of you know the the quality of their skin like in azure's head there's that kind it's like if you get a sort of quartz or gemstones all that kind of stuff they look kind of elemental as well so you can kind of believe they're old but the fact it goes into these like insanely hyper camp 
you know, villain <laughs> costumes. And the way they, but the way they wear it, and the way he moves, he's got he's got a shirt with ruffles down the front. It's just so. And they've both got like pointy boots. It's just and everything's brocaded to the gods. It's just like it's fabulous. I think. I mean, they've they've made an incredibly good impression. I haven't seen a bad word against them. I think they're they really earned their place as proper good new villains. And all I can say is good luck cosplayers. I was just gonna say I cannot wait <laughs> to see the net the, the the cosplayers for Azura and Swarm because that's gonna look awesome. Oh my good god, luck. yes. I'm going to. I'm going to is it, are you going to the Pandorica convention in uh, in Bristol this weekend? Um, I've, I've got to be there, and I'm I'm very eager to see what people make of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's got to be some. Um, to, but to what we haven't seen this episode, uh, Dan's would be date Diane and mm. Claire. Claire, who Claire? Is it too obvious for her to be a future Doctor? Um, anyone got any theories about about those two? I haven't the foggiest. Yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I've had so much to focus on for this episode. I'm just excited to see what those reveals are going to be. Obviously, they're important, but also it must have been important to set them up earlier and not have it happen in their own main episode. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Because um, I've got a feeling, based upon what we've seen for the next episode, it's finishing off what's going on with the Temple of Time stuff. Um, so it'd be really interesting to yeah. see um, how that engages with the rest of the story because they get all by the end of next week's episode or this week's episode. Sorry, um, we'll be halfway through already, mm. um, and it's going <laughs> to be interesting. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see like how those loose ends are tied up and how they affect. I mean, obviously, um, assuming chapter four is the Village of Angels, I believe it's called. I think that's all going to be to do with Claire by the Mm. looks of things. So it'll be interesting to see. And obviously, we still haven't tied up the um, the Liverpool tunnels, um, which got Mm. introduced in the first episode. And then we met the chap this episode for like five minutes with Yaz, and then he just disappeared. So how does that tie in? I I have so many questions. (laughs) Mr. Georgian sideburns, we've got to know. Yeah. And doesn't the whole temple of the whole temple on time thing has a real climax of the final finale of the story vibe to it? That's the sort of thing I expect to happen in in the final act of a story that you go to somewhere like that. So yeah, you're reminding me that um, we've, we've barely we've only just got up to full speed. So whatever the conclusion of the story is, it's it's not that which it was thinks what makes me what is it then. And, and, and it's I so can't... nice to have cliff... sorry, it's so nice to have Ooh. cliffhangers. I just have to yeah. say, as someone who grew up where Doctor Who was, I mean, it was it was largely a part of it. There was, you know, you had the Doctor, you had the companion, Tardis monsters, and cliffhangers. It was just like Ooh. the reason we turned up, and and not just to kind of those occasional cliffhangers they do where they kind of really stand back and look at the universe and say something. This was like an inner moment, you know, like in the very moment it stopped when you just needed to see what was about to happen, um, and that's just gorgeous. Very happy making. Yeah, they could have only made it. They could have made it more eighties if they'd uh, just zoomed in on the doctor going yes as the cliffhanger. That was the, that was the only way they could have uh, upped it even more. But maybe it was a wise decision to uh, to, to not need to go all that way on it. I'm thinking of the, I'm just jumping back right back to the previous cliffhanger because I uh, when I first watched it. Uh, I missed something, and I, th- I, th- I think, uh, and I was like, "Oh, isn't that?" You know, it ended with the Doctor going, "It's the end of the universe," and then just next week, it's just, "Oh no, it's not. We're in Crimea," and I thought, 
of, at the time, I thought, hey, what really happened there? And but then there was just a moment where Yaz goes, we must have just been thrown out of the TARDIS. And the Doctor sort of goes, yeah, we must have mm. been. As if she thinks that's very unlikely. And I, I'm, I've got a hunch that we're going to find out that somebody intervened at that point to put them there. And it might be the Doctor herself. Um, I don't know, but I, I've just got a, I've just got a hunch that there might be more to that ending, and that then dumps them in that uh, in, in that sort of for and for a moment they could have been on Gallifrey in the War Games uh, in the opening <laughs> moments of the episode. Uh, I, I just wonder if there's some Time Lordy stuff around the resolution of that cliffhanger. But yeah, and how many we've got several more cliffhangers to come. That's brilliant, isn't it? I do love Time Lordy stuff. They, they keeps, mm. I do love it when um, we're surprised with something that. I think I like that a lot with the um, Matt Smith um, series where they had, I can't remember the exact details now, but like a older doctor coming back to help Amy in the angels episode and how that worked. I always liked that. So I wonder if we might get something similar with um, this series. Yeah, I think there's there's so much set up and there's so many little moments hidden. I'm still not over the fact that Dan's uh, house got tissue compression eliminated in the first (laughs) episode. (laughs) If that isn't something to do with you-know-who, then I kind of wonder what that is. There are so many moments that we just don't know if they'll pay (laughs) off or if if, if it's, you know, and even like like, uh, Swarm, when we first saw him, he basically regenerates into this version you know like there are so many bits you you don't you think is that even a moment is that even relevant it might be absolutely nothing you just don't know so i think you're right sophie i think the more you find out particularly at the end of it it will just change these episodes retrospectively when you go back and watch them it'll be it'll cast a whole different light on it i think i mean i have i have as now you're saying that i have a little theory and it's a silly little theory but it's only because i think i mentioned this on twitter weeks ago when they first announced to carvinista um Carvinista looks like a man in a suit. And I don't mean that nastily. What I mean is <laughs> he looks like a man who's wearing a dog head with the kind of... And my brain, now that you've said the compression thing, I've gone, if Carvinista turns out to be the master, I'm going to scream. <laughs> Not that I think that's likely, because... But then, to be honest, it's Doctor Who, and you can never bloody yeah. know anymore. Yeah. Um, we've yeah. had the master have a crazy design before, because the Series 10 master reveal even though we all knew john sim was coming like yeah i i forgot my brain blanked it out completely i was like oh i didn't mean now john sim's gonna turn up but meanwhile i'm enjoying this guy whoever this is <laughs> they were like oh wait it's john so who knows i mean i know obviously we know who the actor is for carbonista but it could be a really interesting reveal if actually no this is the master <laughs> Uh, you heard it here first but it's just stupid i know it's stupid but i love the fact that he tried to hypnotize him He's compressed his house. He's the only one that's helping them. It does ring some bells oh. with me to be like, there's more to Carvinista than he's going to admit. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Carvinista is the master's first owner, you heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's been a cat before. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> a snake. Is it a cat? Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I just mean like his, um, the Cheetah People reference. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. This is the master's latest fursona. Um. <laughs> speaking and speaking of dogs and similar furry things, we had a little chat before we started recording uh, about um, who might or might not be because because do- maybe dogs have been underused in Doctor Who uh, throughout, throughout history, but there've been a few that have made their mark. Um, 
and I've made their bark. And mm. uh, we thought people like polls. Let's do a poll. Let's get our listeners to decide who their favourite doggo in the Hooniverse is. And we're going to nominate one each. Does anyone want to go first? Uh, I don't mind. Go for it. Basically, Jackie Tyler's Rose Dog in um, Rise of the Cybermen is adorable. Um and I just, I've, I always love the reveal that Rose finds out that she's been replaced by a little yappy dog that Jackie probably carries around in a handbag. Um, and it just amuses me so much every time. Um, yes. So uh, vote for Rose, the dog. Because <laughs> it's cute dog. <laughs> Who wants to go next? I'll, I'll go up next with uh, with them. Um, the when you when you this, when you said you know think of a dog in Doctor Who. The first one I thought of was um, that beautiful black dog in uh, Mark of the Rani, um, who does some very good acting with yeah. Colin and Nicola growling and barking on cue. Fabulous, you know, really good stuff. And then has just the uh, unfortunate end of being shot by the master in. The tissue compression eliminated by the master with a howl off screen in the in the cruelest pet killing since Barbara brutally killed Sandy the Sand Beast in the rescue, and and for that my vote goes to Bark of the Rani. Oh, poor Aww. Sandy. <laughs> Andrew, Barbara's worst hour. <laughs> yes, yeah, you don't want to mess with you. Do not mess with Barbara. Remember one. Um, yeah, it's um the dog that is attached to the man who is one of Prisoner Zero's um, one of Prisoner Zero's multiforms in um, the 11th hour. Um, the one that comes into Amy's house and the man does the barking instead. I like that dog because it gets the man to do the barking for it. For it. And, <laughs> That's a very uh, Doctor Who-y turnaround, isn't it? <laughs> what about you, Pete? Do you have any favourite um, well, there's so many to choose from, but the one that I've one that I've settled on is uh, um, a little cam- few cameos mm-hmm. are stolen in in the '80s era by uh, Pepsi, the dog of John Nathan Turner himself, uh, which who featured in in his book when he wrote his book about the, the day in the life of a TV producer. He wrote about taking Pepsi for a walk before going to the studio, and and, she, and Pe- Pepsi, I think it's a he, pops up in um, uh, Curse of Fenric uh, in. Uh, at one point, I think, and is in Battlefield in Miss Hardacre's cottage mm. garden. So basically, what I'm saying is, I think this dog is actually uh, a member of the division uh, <laughs> who who was seeding uh, all of these issues throughout time, and and is the missing link between Fenric and uh, and and everyone else. And uh, I will not be taking questions on that. But that's my nomination. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> we had a debate, of course, about whether or not to include canine, and we decided we were going to go with. Act- with, with with four le- four legged actual uh, canines uh, because otherwise it wouldn't be fair, would it? Canine would obviously just win if we'd put canine in. <laughs> so um, over, over to the good people of Twitter to decide who their favourite. Absolutely, dog is. there will be a poll. Yes. Click below. Do we, to do vote we win the something if our dog wins? No. Great. <laughs> we do not. You in you in pride. You in the the knowing that your dog has uh, has, has triumphed. That, nice. That's all. <laughs> So, um, so the next episode coming up is going to be Once Upon Time, which finally makes sense, doesn't it? Now that we've seen the uh, what time is actually being referenced in that. Um, and yeah, does anyone have any... Uh, we know this is going to be an Angels episode, isn't it, we reckon? 
I think it's the next episode, is the Village of Angels. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, no, I'm jumping ahead, of course, yeah. So, so we don't know, do we? No. So this you is just the one with the new reverse. Like the uh, Doctor's wearing a new coat, which has taken the Twitter by storm. The, the Doctor's <laughs> wearing a new coat, and Vinda looks very swish. Um, they're the main throwaways that I've seen on Twitter for the photos <laughs> for Once Upon Time. Um, so I'm curious, because it looks like Doctor's coat is just reversed, which is an interesting way of doing a new coat. Um, it, so I'd be curious to see how that works out. Yeah, it makes me think of um, It Takes You Away, where they went through the mirror and uh, fringe was an earring were, re- were reversed as a sign mm. that they'd gone into a different reality. I wonder if it's something simple, you know, a, 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 a way of telling something apart in, in that respect. Or maybe she just says, mm. well, look, a new coat. I think I remember um, when I said to my my husband, uh, "Oh, hey, the doctor's got a new to- coat." He's like, "Oh, did he f- did she find a charity shop?" <laughs> <laughs> I did have a, a, a giggle, um, but no, yeah, it's. Um, I am intrigued to see how that will work. I, I personally, from what I've seen, it does look like there's a bit of like alternate versions going on, which mm. does excite mm. me because I love that sort of thing in Doctor <laughs> Who. A big fan of. Um, my mind has gone blank. The the brigade leader and stuff like I know that. What you mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> My brain has gone completely <laughs> blank on what that episode is called. Oh, I'll show you what it's called. Yeah, of yeah. course, yes. Yeah. But but it's a whole yeah, add that whole type of thing. Yeah, um, it's, 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 and we haven't had that often. We've not had many instances in recent times, have we? Of like the companion being hypnotized and going evil. Which used to be a real, um, uh, a, 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 a real stalwart part of, of, of Doctor Who's uh, repertoire. Um, maybe they got bored of doing it, but I'd be interested. I would, I'd love to have a companion go properly evil and on the rampage. We had, uh, yeah, that, that that would be interesting too. Hmm. Well, does anyone have? Is there anything we've forgotten? Is there anything we've forgotten to tell the lovely yeah. Trap One listeners? Lots of lovely Jodie moments in this episode. I thought. Um, yeah. I, I loved her um confrontation with um Skark and um you know saying take your own mate off mate let's let's be avenue and then um oh actually put it back on just you know some you know lovely laugh out loud moments in this one it's um just lots of great moments of her standing up to military buffoons and um you know um you know it's um it's you know always I think she's at her best when she gets you know um villain confrontation scenes where she gets to really swagger a little bit um like she did in that moment or um just, you know all moments where she just gets to um go up against authority figures who won't listen to her and just kind of really um you know deconstruct their self-importance a bit as she does with Logan as well and that type of stuff is always very satisfing I think with their team yeah, I, yeah. Was, I wanted to kind of uh, call out for all the things uh, that really impressed me, particularly second time around, was the music. Sagan Akinola's music is absolutely incredible. You know, he was very well known for doing this kind of ambient, strange kind of background, just creating a just a layered atmos quiet in the background. He's going full bombastic, but it's still incredibly beautiful. Um, there are great... Uh, the Sontaran themes are fantastic, and he he he, he borrows Holst's Mars Suite, which uh, you know John Williams did with Star Wars. It's if you're going to steal, steal from the best, and that's and it's just wonderful. And and uh, in the Temple of Atropos, there's a lot more kind of slightly discordant, weird stuff, but it's all it's incredibly exciting. And I think you, as I watched it the second time, I really appreciated quite how much the music was really, really carrying the excitement and building up beautifully. So that was that was a moment I had to call out. Excellent. Yeah, what about you, Sophie? Is there anything particular? I mean, I love the banter between the Carbonista and Dan. 
Yes. Um, so much. That's the banter between them where, you know, Dan's like, I had a plan. It's like, no, you didn't. Uh, <laughs> that, that's sort of like the, the kind of tactile relationship that they have. The um, uh, antagonisticness of it, I really enjoy. Um, I loved all the stuff in Liverpool. I think actually it must be so nice for people who are local to Liverpool to see their, you know, their hometown um displayed in this way mm. like dan makes obviously so many references to liverpool uh culture in that sense Liverpoolian culture and then i think uh there's like the radio tower i think in liverpool where they had the Santaran flag on it in that that one moment where dan returns and i think i think that's just so nice because you can imagine if it was to happen to me if i was you know watching a, an episode of doctor who and Bristol turned up. I'd be just like, oh my god! I mean, I'd be really excited. So it must be so nice for. Yeah. Didn't you get Daleks on a bridge in Bristol the we... other week? Yeah, I know, but it wasn't. It, you know, it was a glimpse. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't for like a, a main feature of the episode that it was Bristol, yeah. if that makes sense. Where yeah, we yeah. we know straight away that this is Liverpool. Dan lives in Liverpool. This is to do with his hometown. I think that's quite rewarding. The same with like how Torchwood and Cardiff are like so intertwined. So it's going to be so nice, I think, for fans. Because I know like a lot of stuff Doctor Who-wise goes on down south. So it's been really nice for Sheffield and Liverpool to take more of a central um, lead on that, on, the, on terms of like uh, companion settings, if, if that's the word I can use. Um, so that's really nice. I really like that. I like that earthiness of it. Because um, I think Chibnall is from Liverpool. Is that correct? I could be wrong. Oh, I yeah. I've got a feeling he's from Liverpool, so it's really nice as well to for him probably to have these references as well. <laughs> like I brought Doctor yeah. Who's Liverpool. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I, that's what um, something I love about Doctor Who as well is being able to feature so much of you know the UK and other parts of the world as well to make us feel as fans and viewers a lot more connected to it. And I, th- I felt that with Liverpool um, this this episode. Nice. And what about you, Pete? What about highlights? What were your highlights for this? Um, yeah, I, I, I think um, jo- definitely Jodie's Doctor coming, uh, upping everything. Well, no, I think because I've always liked her. I, I, I thought she was brilliant, brilliant from the off, but but we're in, she's in a new mode now. She's in sort of more of an action adventure mode. It's interesting that she talked, I, I really, I thought it was fascinating. Back in the first series, she talked about being a pacifist. The doctor said, "I'm the doctor, and I'm a pacifist," and that was that was new. The doctor had never really said that before, I don't think. And she's, but I don't know. If she, but then she, she killed all those Daleks at New Year, and I think that maybe has, um, has, has got her more. Um, I don't know. There's been a bit of a change uh, in in the way that she goes for things, but then also still, you know, being being angry at the uh, the guy for basically shooting the Sontarans in the back. Um, she's still very true to her to principles. So yeah, and and she, you mentioned the, the possibility that the, of the costumes ending up in charity shops. <laughs> um, I'm I'm now just imagining. Can you imagine if I worked in a charity shop and I saw Swarm and Azure walking past? I would be there with little carrier bags, just like, have you got any cast-offs? Anything you don't want anymore? Because <laughs> uh, all that. What was the word used, Conrad? Em- Embrocade? Yeah, brocade. Brocade, thank you. They come from a dimension where the brocading skills are just really, really good, aren't they? Uh, So I would definitely want to get hold of uh, of any of their cast-offs. So... I think that's that's an episode reviewed, isn't it? Thank you very much, everyone, for um, for coming along and for sharing your thoughts with us. Um, do you want to just go around again and quickly say where people can get in touch with you uh, on on social media and such like? Uh, should we do it alphabetically again, Andrew? 
Yeah, sure. So again, I'm Andrew. Um, you can follow me at at Scarves and C, Scarves and Celery on Twitter, where I um, tweet silly and um, mostly Doctor Who opinions that you maybe don't want to listen to, to be honest. Don't don't follow me on social media. It's a bad <laughs> idea. Um, no, um, yeah, no. If you want to see me talking about fandom stuff, go there. Um, and like I said, I um, run the 12th Doctor Fan Audios, which you can find on YouTube if you um, search 12th Doctor Fan Audios. Um, our Twitter handle is at DW Fan Audios. Um, yep, we, um, we've made at the moment four episodes, four um, full length episodes of um, Doctor Who, of um, New Adventures with the 12th Doctor, starring um, wonderful impressionist Guillaume Bay. And um, yeah, we've um, also made a bunch of um, just um, little shorts as well, um, f- short sketches featuring Twelve, which have been fun to make. Um, so yeah, do, um, do check those out um, at the um, link. Excellent. Okay. Am I right to think? Am I right in thinking, Andrew? We might be getting a little clip of you at the end of this episode. <laughs> I did a little um I did a little song um that was um by so it was actually the lyrics um yeah the idea was um but it basically came from one of our composers um Dylan O'Hara and um Jack Guider who did the um lyrics basically to it so it's um yep um Sontahi Sontaha to the um <laughs> to the um, <laughs> lyric, um to the tune of Obladi Oblada by the Beatles. <laughs> Oh, Liverpool again. <laughs> what, could, what could be more fitting? <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter, not being nearly that creative, at hairofthehound underscore. And uh, I'll do me because I'm that. I'm Pete. I'm very Pete Lambert on, on Twitter, Professor underscore quite a mess. I do nothing productive. I just do tweets. And if you want to say hello, that would be lovely. And I'll say hello back. Sophie, you're off to, um, you're off traveling this upcoming in the days ahead, aren't you? Yes, I'm, I'm going to Four Bubble, uh, which is an independent comics festival which uh, I'm excited about. It's all the way in Harrogate. So I'm going to be going uh, much further up north than I usually go. So um, if you're going to that, hopefully I'll see you. If um, it's this weekend, if you, if this, obviously if this podcast releases before then. Um, yeah. Otherwise, um, you can find me on Twitter, my, mostly under, well, actually mo- all under uh, SoFiles <laughs> tweets. So S-O-P-H-I-L-E-S tweets. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as well under Sophie Isles Art. And um, yeah, you can keep up to date with me. Say hello. See if uh, what my writing and artwork is doing and has done in that time. <laughs> um, who knows what will happen in the next couple of days, weeks, months. I, I'm very uh, all over the place. Um, but um, yeah, hopefully if I do see you at Four Bubble, I would love to see you all. Do come and say hello. And uh, it's been so lovely to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. Everyone's been very welcome. Thanks very much for all your contributions and uh, everybody listening. Thank you for listening. Trap One will be back with another panel next week reviewing the exciting third episode of Flux. Until then, take care. Bye bye. Dr. Lance, the TARDIS, and Primian Warden's got a wacky spider in his prime. The communista shows up just to save the day, and yes, it's Santa he, Santa ha, life goes on, walk, la 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 la, ride a horse, Santa he, Santa ha, life goes on.